0: Hey, trust me. Okay, if you're a business professional, especially one selling services and your expertise, then you know better than to say something like that to an informed and skeptical marketplace, including people who have been burned before. But we also want to be trusted in our business world and everywhere else. Today, it's a solo episode on being trustworthy in business, what it takes, what to do, and two common traps to avoid all on the Manage Your Message podcast.
1: Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr.
0: Welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I heard this line yet again just a couple of weeks ago while speaking with a client. This is something you have probably heard a lot as well. On this time, it came from the leader of a sales division who said, we want all of our people, our salespeople, account managers, really everyone to be seen by our customers as a trusted advisor. We hope they'll follow our recommendations and that we won't get stuck being just another potential vendor fighting on price. Whether you call the goal to be trusted or a counselor or a trusted advisor like that person, the idea is the same. We want to not only be noticed, but believed and in many cases followed. Today, we're going to talk about trustworthiness as applied to business. And while that's a common goal, it's also commonly misdefined and misunderstood. I say that from a background that includes high level research and street level practice. In this solo episode, I'll share my rather simple view of what it takes to be considered professionally trustworthy. Many business people and many organizations, although they want to be seen as trusted advisors, they emphasize the wrong thing and they don't pay enough attention to another thing that's equally important. I'll explain. But before we talk about the elements of trustworthiness, why is this such a concern? Why is it such a big deal in the first place? Well, there's a lot of power in being seen as trustworthy and a lot of costs in failing to do so. If you're not seen as trustworthy, and even if people pay attention to you, they won't consider you to be distinct or valuable. When you make recommendations for them, those will often be ignored. When it comes to getting paid in line with your value, well, you tend to get lumped in with everyone else. You get caught in a price war. Who wants to just fight being the least expensive option? By contrast, if you have been able to earn a degree of trust from prospects and your customers, then you get extra attention. You get to help create options. You get to help lead your customers through their choices, making sure that they're making decisions that are the right ones for their situation and that they come to you time and again. In that world, it's not just transactional. You have the opportunity to build long-lasting relationships that serve both of you very well. But recognize that we all face headwinds. In general, Americans tend to not trust any profession very much. There are lots of surveys that will offer us different conclusions, but in general, trust has been on the decline for years. Some professionals, such as doctors, teachers, firefighters, and nurses, still rate at or near the top of most surveys, while journalists, marketers, salespeople, lobbyists, and politicians tend to be at the bottom. But overall, the tide of trust has receded for everyone. So, being trustworthy is important, but it is far from automatic, and my message to you is that many competent professionals have a misplaced focus. Let's make sure that doesn't happen to you. In this episode, I'm sharing a simple, yet what i found powerful and practical structure for thinking about trustworthiness and how to build it for yourself or across your team or across your entire organization. There are lots of good articles, studies, and books written by learned people on trust and trustworthiness. You can find lots of different models, people looking at trust through various lenses. I make no claim of superiority here. I'm just going to offer you what I know to be a simple and useful way of thinking about two primary components of being trustworthy in a business setting. My point of view comes from my PhD research training in mass communication and persuasion across cognitive and social psychology. It also comes through loud and clear as a product of my private sector experience working with clients who are in higher value professional services or high value solutions. These professionals aren't selling the inexpensive mass volume stuff. They offer products and services, things that are tailored in industries such as banking, insurance, cybersecurity, medical devices, software, logistics, and a lot more. Building trust is supremely important in those domains. So if that describes your professional world, then let's first look at the two primary components that go into trustworthiness in a professional setting. So, you need to have these two things and in roughly equal doses. The first is expertise. You might rightly think, hey Jim, that's pretty obvious. Granted, expertise is the evidence that you know what you're talking about in that particular domain, which could be investments, financial management, engineering, design, whatever your space is then certainly you'd have to be able to demonstrate to the world, to your potential customers or clients, that you know what you're talking about. And this area is appealing because it feels very objective, scientific, very left brain. You have certain levels of education, credentials, certifications, experience. Those are things you can document and list. Then there is the other half of the equation, empathy, not sympathy, but empathy, And by that, I mean that you've demonstrated understanding of the other person's situation, your ability to walk in their shoes, to understand how they see their current frustrations, their pain, their current opportunities, and to reflect it in their language, understanding their constraints, basically to get them. What I find is that a lot of really good professionals, they over-index, they over-emphasize that first part of expertise. If you go onto their websites... If you engage in a conversation, it's all about those credentials, their experience, education, certifications, etc. There is nothing wrong with that. It's just not sufficient. It's kind of table stakes, as we'll talk about here in a moment. There are many, many examples of professionals who overemphasize their expertise and don't talk enough about their empathy. Here's just one of them. It's an example I recently found. Two researchers in Europe carefully examined the websites of 60 different public relations agencies. And you would think that if anyone knows the power of language to build trustworthiness, it would be PR professionals, right? They're trying to get companies and individuals to sign on with them and help build their brands and their reputation. Well, those websites when closely examined for the words, visuals, and symbols, all the language that goes into promoting themselves. What the researchers found is that 55% of that language was targeted toward their expertise. But another 30% of the messages in those websites was consumed by the agencies mentioning the fact that they were seeking trustworthiness as their goal. Less than 20% demonstrated empathy, the understanding of their clients and prospect situations. Look, this is an easy trap. I've fallen into this myself. There was a time when I was still a university professor years ago And a faculty colleague and I wanted some sort of mechanism for a side gig to do some consulting together. We needed a name. We decided to call it The Marketing Doctors. It was probably my bad idea first. We even had business cards with a small icon of a stethoscope on there. Now, that was literally true. We were both PhDs and we were all about marketing. But when I look back on it now, Not only was the name and the stethoscope a bit uh, cheesy, but we were not well-defined in the marketplace. We didn't necessarily mean to do this, but nevertheless, we were inadvertently sending a message that, well, hey, we're smart, we have PhDs, we're experts, call us. Well, guess what? A few potential clients sought us out, but just not that many. We did not have in our descriptions of our side gig any clear sense of whom we served or why we served or what kinds of problems that we could solve or how we really understood our potential client situations. We had the same problem in our little side gig, as did those expert public relations agencies in their websites today. One other thing to consider about expertise. It is situational, not absolute. No one is an expert in everything. Some smart people paint too broadly. We've seen people who are experts in one area fail to stay in their lane. Say statisticians who are trying to predict political races and oftentimes they look pretty foolish in the process. So if you think in terms of medicine or engineering or design, there are lots of different flavors and forms in those disciplines. What works in one area of medicine or engineering doesn't work in another area. You consult a civil engineer for your roads, tunnels, or bridges, but not an electrical engineer. If you're dealing with a hormone imbalance, you should talk with an endocrinologist, not a dermatologist. In fact, You know, looking back, that was yet another problem with the marketing doctors because marketing itself is so broad. So we have this notion of expertise that we need to handle in the right way. We have empathy, which many good professionals may or may not adequately communicate. So what might that look like today for you? How do clients or prospects see you? There are basically four scenarios, each with its own implication. So for example... If you believe someone has low expertise and low levels of empathy, uh, don't bother talking to them for any professional problem. Move on. If someone had low levels of perceived expertise but high empathy, well, that's the kind of person who may be a good friend or a good shoulder to cry on, but you wouldn't necessarily follow their advice on anything. They feel for you, but they don't really know what they're talking about. Neither of these scenarios is going to apply to you. I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you're a professional. You know your stuff. You have high levels of expertise. Now, if you're perceived as having high expertise yet lower levels of empathy, here's what happens. People will say to themselves, you know, that person is smart and they're good at what they do, but not really for me. They would be good for someone else. They just don't fully understand my industry, my situation, my constraints. That can be very frustrating if you're a company or a service provider and you know that you know your stuff and you don't understand why the market doesn't quite get it. What we want is to be perceived as having high levels of both expertise and empathy. When that's the case, your clients and potential clients are going to look at you and your company and say to themselves, those people know their area and they understand me. I know that they're going to work in their best interest, but I believe they're also going to work in my best interest. I welcome their recommendations. I welcome their advice. I'm going to listen to it. And I know that if there are things that are unexpected along the way, they'll make adjustments. If it needs a little bit of tailoring, I know that they'll take my particular situation into account. And that's exactly where we want to be, known for expertise plus empathy. So how can you best get there and stay there? I find that there are three messaging stages, each building upon the previous one into what I call trustworthiness traps in between. Here we go. The first level is about credibility, which begins with those elements of expertise I just talked about. This is the realm of credentials, certification, and experience, the attributes that show up on resumes or a LinkedIn profile that are searchable online when potential clients do their homework on you. It's what you get Googled on. Credentials are an area where many professional services firms focus their marketing. Yet, as I mentioned before, these days your credentials are probably considered table stakes. Their minimum requirements as seen by most prospects. They're necessary but not sufficient. The first trustworthiness trap that I've seen is the belief that credibility or expertise alone is enough to earn trust and grow the business. Too often, that leads to prospects saying to themselves, that person is clearly good, just not for me. The second level involves developing relationships. Now, this makes a lot of sense too. I cannot recall any professional services organization or leader who at some point hasn't said emphatically, ours is a people business. So, developing relationships is a priority. But as I've learned along the way, sometimes the hard way, there needs to be a strategy and some good practical habits. This is not about mindless networking or collecting business cards or contacts. Hey, by the way, for some great guidance on intentional networking, you want to listen to episode 17 with Patty DiNucci. Now, my friend David Noor, who I will have on the podcast soon, literally wrote the book on a concept of relationship economics. He points out That the concept of business relationships is typically different in the US than in other parts of the world. Here, if the business part goes well, then many professionals start investing more deeply in the relationship part. In much of the rest of the world, relationships are the gateway to business. So, to this point, how have you been strategically cultivating and prioritizing business relationships? I see some high performing professionals and firms that do a couple of things consistently well. First, They think give before get to build relationships. And second, they have developed and worked together from an ideal client profile. They define the priorities for their business development and sponsorship activities very well. On the other hand, I also hear from professionals who are frustrated with their prospect lists. One is a manager within a private bank. She recently said about a longtime friend who had pledged her business to a competing firm, quote, she likes us. But she's not going to invest with us. I mean, you can have friendly relationships that never develop into business or referrals. The second trustworthiness trap I've seen is the belief that having relationships, even seemingly strong ones, will necessarily drive growth. In order to leap over that trap, you need to activate those relationships for yourself and across the business. That brings us to the third and highest level mastery of client conversations. At that level, Everyone close to your business, meaning employees, current clients, those who can provide referrals, they all know how to talk about the business. Everyone is equipped with brief conversational language, helpful insight, relevant stories to share, whether the opportunity is at a business conference or networking event or a regular client meeting or a social conversation in the stands at a game. With mastery of client conversations, you avoid that not-for-me syndrome where people understand your expertise, but don't think it necessarily applies to them. That's the empathy half of the equation, the half that so many well-qualified and credentialed professionals unfortunately lack. Real-time conversations, the ones with questions and answers, give and take, those are the best means to demonstrate your empathy and understanding. What does success in all three steps look like? Well, one example is Alan Weiss, a mentor of mine and many other consultants. Alan has been in business for more than 30 years, has written dozens of books, as a Hall of Fame speaker, and has a seven-figure practice as a solo consultant. He says that he can trace 90% of his current business to four early relationships, and he hasn't made a cold call in more than 15 years. Look, your mileage may differ, and everyone needs to start somewhere. But I really encourage you to think about both expertise and empathy as the components of professional trustworthiness. And I recommend you think strategically about gaining more skill and confidence in customer conversations as your way to stand out. That will connect your credentials, training, experience, and the people in your network on a path to growth. Each level builds upon the previous one. Ultimately, you and your colleagues in the business can become credible, competent experts, plus relationship builders, plus skilled leaders, Of a client conversation. You can also think of this model as ready, set, go for the business. The ready part includes your credentials and relationships. With those at hand, getting set means equipping everyone with the knowledge and tools for good client conversations. Go means not only launching that initiative across the organization, but also keeping it a priority over time. get it right and you'll be on the path toward more new clients, more services sold to existing clients, and greater client loyalty. Thanks again for joining the podcast. We're generating a lot of momentum and want to keep this going. If you haven't done so yet, then please tap subscribe on your way out, and your five-star rating will make it easier for other professionals to join us. I can recommend one other free weekly resource, the Message Manager Memo. It's a brief weekly email with practical tips and examples you will actually enjoy seeing it in your inbox. It only takes about, oh, 10 seconds to sign up on my website, jimkarr.com, K-A-R-R-H. I would be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn, and you can follow me on Twitter at Carr. And let's talk directly. You might have suggestions for the podcast. You might want to bounce a messaging idea. Maybe your organization needs to sharpen its message and equip more people with the tools and confidence to share it widely and consistently. Perhaps you know of an association or company that would be a great fit to have me visit as a professional speaker. You can email me directly at jim at jim and set up a time to talk by phone if you like. My mobile number is also on the website. I try to keep it simple. Three steps, no pressure. You and I have a phone or Zoom conversation for a few minutes. We assess what it is you're trying to accomplish and whether improved messaging can help. And if so, then we can begin to put together a plan. As always, I really appreciate your time and enthusiasm for letting your world know about what you do and its value. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at manageyourmessagepodcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to rating and reviewing this podcast and connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr until next time. We hope your business message is shared well and often.